Welcome everyone to episode 6 of Phenomenal Flicks. My name is Tommy Tracy and we are at the end of June. We made it halfway through the year in this crazy year that has been 2020. It's been the longest year of most people's lives and unfortunately I feel like it's just going to get harder and longer. Um, I'm not going to even mince words here. We're living through a global pandemic and that has forced a lot of bad things on earth in general as a, as a planet earth is in trouble. Um, you know, I'm not going to get too much into the details. It's easy to open up your web browser and read anything you can, but it's, it's forced a lot of things to close. And most importantly, at least to this podcast, it forced movie theaters to close. Now I've done a pretty decent job of the newest releases and episodes relating to those. Um, unfortunately though, nothing has released, this week at the end of June. So I thought, what better time than to just do kind of a middle year review? Um, I want to give you, as you see in the title, um, a year in review so far for my top 10 favorite movies of the year so far, my top 10 favorite performances of the year so far, and as an added bonus, my top 10 favorite albums of the year so far. Um, I think it's just kind of a good and fun thing to do. I love top 10 lists. And with nothing of note coming out this week, and with, you know, some people might think this is a bad idea to do this episode because a lot of stuff did get pushed back months, even some things like Fast 9 getting pushed back a full year. However, there was still a lot of content. Uh, We got three, well, two and a half months at least of movies and theaters, and we got a slew of things released on demand, um, straight to Blu-ray or home media, DVD, whatever you buy, um, some things to streaming services. So yeah, I, I, like I said, I want to do a top 10 of the three things I mentioned. This is going to be a bit of a longer episode, um, but each of these are not going to be full reviews. They're just going to be little snippets. Some of these I've done full episodes for already that you can go back and listen to. And lastly, these are just my opinions. You know, some people might not agree with them, and that's definitely okay. This is my top 10, and this is how what I feel at least were the best options of the year so far. Um, so I'm going to start right now with my top 10 films of the first half of 2020. My number 10 film goes to the surprisingly fun, comma, funny, and enjoyable Sonic the Hedgehog. It's really no secret that video game movies usually suck. Let's not mince words about it. Video game movies are terrible, but Sonic was true to the spirit of the game while also adding in some modern humor and plot plot points that are relevant to today. So sure, like a lot of the jokes and references might not still hold up five years down the line, like Sonic, you know, flosses. No one's going to really think about that in 2025. Um, But, you know, in general, it is a kid's movie. And these were things that are going to make kids laugh. Um, There's also some like really awkward product placement. But like I said, Sonic was a fun time staying true to the most part to the character. And I've got to give it to Paramount Pictures for doing what no other studio is doing. They released that trailer and we all went online and bitched. So they said, okay, we hear you. We're going to push the movie back from November 2019 to February 2020 and we're going to fix this for you and they did and we owed it to them to go see this movie in the theaters and fans did it was an enjoyable movie and 
Jim Carrey was also a real treat, but that is something I'm going to get into a little later. My number nine film, I've chosen again, a shockingly entertaining movie that's a lot of fun, but in a different way, and that's the horror film titled Underwater that takes place entirely at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, A lot of people had trepidations about this film because of Kristen Stewart, but trust me, she's not a detriment. She's actually the most intriguing character um, who has a fun script to work with that brings the horror, shock value, and a general twist that I did not see coming. Uh, Take the time to see this movie. It's very claustrophobic, utterly creepy, and makes you feel like you're in tight quarters the whole 90-minute runtime. My number eight film goes to Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous and Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. That is a hard title to say fast. Um, this is the latest, I guess, entry in the DC Extended Universe. I'm not going to touch too much on Margot Robbie um, because like Jim Carrey, I'll get to her in a little bit. But the movie is just capital F-U-N fun. Um, I've used that word a lot. I know it's going to happen more and more on this episode. Um, but the word fun is not a bad thing. Movies are supposed to be entertaining. You're supposed to have fun while watching them. And Birds of Prey is colorful, energetic, ultra-violent, and just filled with so much randomness, it's hard not to have a good time. After the shit show that was Suicide Squad, it was a necessity to follow it up well. And Harley Quinn, or sorry, Birds of Prey rather, um, last year's Shazam and Aquaman were steps in the right direction for the DCEU that I have no idea where it's going after this. But this move, movie, rather, was enjoyable. My number seven film goes to The Lodge. Now, a quick sidebar on this. If you're using a search engine to look up films that I'm mentioning, you'll see that it says The Lodge is a 2019 film. It did, in fact, play at film festivals, most notably Sundance Film Festival, last year. However, with my list that I want to do because I do want to do other episodes pertaining to like say the best films of 1984 or something like that Um, I'm going to base the release date on the one where it was most accessible to viewers Uh, you can't really go to Sundance Film Festival unless A you've got the money or the time however you can watch this movie on demand or you could have seen it in theaters in February. So I want to make sure that the release is the most accessible release, which happened to be February of 2020. That being said, The Lodge is really just a character-driven film on how one deals with past trauma, um, small space confinement, and the lack of support for all of those things. It's really a hard film, film to nail down with the horror coming from the slow burn and the implied horror instead of what is actually seen. It might be too slow for some people, and that's okay. It's it's a lot like The Witch or Midsommar um, or Goodnight Mommy, who is, uh, who, is a, who is a film directed by the same guys who directed this. Um, but as a viewer, I was engaged from beginning to end and thoroughly creeped out by the time the credits rolled. My number six film goes to The Hunt which is a neo-political thriller about far-left activists kidnapping and hunting those they find deplorable in society. This film was pretty controversial, kind of catching shit from both sides of the political spectrum for its message. One group, let's say the far right, took this as, oh, it's so anti-Republican, so anti, uh, you know, 
us with guns and those who, you know, stand at the American flag. And then people on the left took it as, oh, it's making fun of us for not finding political humor like this funny and that sort of thing. It actually kind of reminds me of the South Park episode, The Tale of Scrody McBooger Balls, which is, it's a stupid title, don't get me wrong. However, if you watch the episode, you realize that people are taking the book that is written for different meanings that's kind of what this movie is. And in fact, I think The Hunt is a satire on both political parties taking both down a peg for their far-reaching beliefs of their most extreme members. Now, I usually lean a lot more liberal than I do conservative. However, I realize that there are people on both ends of that spectrum that are just deplorable regardless of what you, what, what you identify with. So throw in some like really fantastic gory scenes some really shocking moments, especially if you know some of the actors in this, and you have, again, a very funny and hilarious romp through our political climate right now. My number five film goes to Disney Pixar's latest animated feature that is definitely going to make you cry, and that is Onward. It tells the tale of two brothers in the Middle Ages that are also in modern times. It's basically us now however there's like trolls and goblins and fairies and that sort of thing um and so like i said it's two brothers that are gifted a spell that will bring their deceased dad back for only 24 hours they venture on a quest that is truly touching and kind of the brotherly love sort of bond between the older brother played by chris pratt and the younger brother played by tom holland and it's something that i always wish i had with my older brother um as times as he got older as times got rougher and whatnot um, I'm not gonna, it's not going to reinvent the wheel, but Onward is just a loving homage to what sibling love should be and what siblings should be able to accomplish together. You can actually watch this on Disney Plus right now. Um, it did release in early March and then released on Disney Plus, I believe, at the beginning of April. So if you have a Disney Plus subscription, it's not a bad way to spend 90 minutes. My number four film goes to The King of Staten Island, which I did review in full last week. So I'll be a little lighter here, but this film was one of the biggest surprises of the year to me. As I mentioned in the review, I like both Pete Davidson and Judd Apatow, uh, but I understand that a lot of people don't. However, the film was A, very funny, and B, very heartfelt, and it's something I definitely plan on revisiting. I think you should spend the money and watch it because you will really gain a new appreciation for Pete Davidson. My number three film, the bronze medal, if you will, goes to The Invisible Man. My expectations for this movie were mixed when I heard about it. I was both hyped and incredibly wary at the same time. From the moment the film started, I was in awe. The atmosphere alone, the, non, the non-diegetic music that was playing, the scope of the film is enough to creep you out for two solid hours. The jump scares are all warranted. There's nothing that's just a loud bang in your face and it's just like, oh, a cat jumped through the window. No, every scare in this movie is done to scare the shit out of you. Elizabeth Moss is a powerhouse in this and the effects are also top notch. They look practical, but you know they're CGI and that is the best kind of effect today. Lee Wan L did an amazing job to reinvent an older universal movie to a modern era, an old tale, one that scared me even when I don't get scared so easily. My number two film of the year is going to Guns Akimbo. And much like The Lodge, this is technically, and I'm using air quotes, a 2019 film, but again, not accessible until this year. 
So, hence why it's number two. And it was also my second episode that I recorded in an hour-long epic with my buddy Mike Vlaz. We went beat for beat on it and spoiled the shit out of it. Again, I'm not going to spoil that here. But we loved the movie. It's no secret that we loved it. At the time, I gave it an A, and I stick to that grade. It was a gory, fun, good time. There's that word again. I couldn't help root for Daniel Radcliffe's character while also wanting to see Samara Weaving's get her hands on him and kick his ass. This is a weird film. I'm not going to say it's not, but it's incredibly entertaining. I mean, just listen to our episode. I'm not going to say more. And my number one film of 2020 is, to no surprise to anyone who heard my episode last week, is Spike Lee's Defy Bloods. It's a Vietnam film that has really little to do with the war of Vietnam itself. It was the most engaging, violent, and beautifully shot film I've seen all year. I really did the only thing that I wish this movie had was a theatrical release, but I understand why I didn't. If you are not hooked from the very beginning when these four guys get together, I honestly just can't help you. Every single second of Defy Blood's really, really, really long but warranted runtime kept me wondering just what would happen next. There's a particular eight-minute give or take scene that is just so anxiety-inducing, it was causing me to sweat while in my very, very well-air-conditioned room. Unlike the other films on this list, you can watch Defy Bloods with a Netflix subscription, and I highly recommend you do as soon as possible. Now, I'll be moving on to my top 10 performances in movies so far this year. So please understand that a lot of these are going to be similar rankings of like to the movies that are adjacent to themselves. And if a performance appears on the list, but the movie did not earlier, it doesn't take anything away from the movie. It just means that the performance was better. With that said, my number 10 performance is actually going to be a tie. And here's why it's a tie, because it's between Kumail Ninjiani and Issa Rae as Gibran and Leilani, who were two characters, the two main characters, if you will, in the film The Lovebirds. Uh, As I mentioned in my review, their chemistry was just off the charts. Their ad-libbing was outstanding, and while comedy doesn't always work, you're not going to laugh at everything, they really sold what they were, they really sold their bullshit that they were giving you. They also really sold love and disdain for each other at the same time, which is hard to do. And they are in a world, even in 2020, in a world where we should all be accepted, there is a Pakistani man and an African-American woman who are leading a movie in 2020, and I love that. My number nine performance of the year goes to Riley Keough, I believe that's how you pronounce her name, uh, for The Lodge. It's a truly unsettling performance. Keo brings a maniacal yet soft performance at the same time to her character of Grace. She doesn't speak a lot in the movie. When she does, it's usually three or four words in a sentence. And she is quite creepy while also being incredibly captivating. My number eight performance goes to Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn in Birds of Prey. I'm not going to say the full title again because it's long as shit. And I just realized what I said now was actually longer than the title. Regardless, it's no secret that very few things, and by very few, I mean one or two, were enjoyable in Suicide Squad. Robbie as Harley Quinn was the standout from that movie, and she gets a lot more to do here 
combining kind of a jealous aspect of her character with the craziness that we all know and love from Harley Quinn, the humor and sincerity that we all know from Harley Quinn, and to the badass girl that we can't help but root for in this movie. As a little sidebar, this isn't an addition to this, but also Ewan McGregor is amazing in it. I want to pick one performance per movie, and while Ewan McGregor was just so fantastic as Black Mask, it was Robbie's movie to run away with, and she did so. My number seven performance of the year goes to Samara Weaving as Nyx from Guns Akimbo. If you heard my review, which I just mentioned earlier, then you know I had nothing but good things to say about Weaving. She impresses me every movie she's in, whether it be this film, Mayhem, Ready or Not, or The Babysitter. She was allowed to really unleash here and be as uncanny and badass as possible. In a film, like I said, with my last performance, where Dan Rad is also putting in amazing work, it's a testament to what she did in this movie to be able to outshine the main character and just kind of steal the movie from him. She's very relatable while also being incredibly unrelatable, and I think that is very hard to do as an actress or actor. My number six performance goes to Betty Gilpin as Crystal from The Hunt. Uh, this movie is a roller coaster ride of shock value from the very beginning, and that's even before her character is introduced in a movie about 20, 15, 20 minutes in. You really just don't know what to expect. She sucks you in from the get-go with like a really small and subtle performance that is then flipped 180 degrees and then ramped up to 11. I'm not the first one to say something good about her, and I definitely won't be the last by year's end. And even those who didn't like this movie are sitting on a positive review for at least her character in it. My number five performance goes to Ben Affleck as Jack Cunningham from the film The Way Back. Affleck gets shit on way too much as an actor, but I have, I have and I always will defend him. He's done some shitty movies. That is, that is no debate. I mean, Geely happened. Paycheck was a thing in 2002 or whatever. You know, Daredevil is fine, I guess. Um, but he's really coming to his own, especially the past decade with like something like The Town or Gone Girl or Argo. And that's no different here. Affleck really unleashes his real-life demons that he had, especially with alcohol, into a role of a man who is just struggling with loss, alcohol addiction, hating his life, wishing for his glory days. It's a film that is good, but just not as good as his powerhouse performance. Plus, you know, basketball's in it, and I really fucking miss sports, and this was the best I could do. I think I should just watch some sports movies, I feel like. Like, maybe throw on The Mighty Ducks or a league of their own, fill the dreams, Rudy. I just really miss sports. Anyway, Affleck's awesome. My number four performance goes to Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik from Sonic the Hedgehog. I told you we'd be back to him. And yes, in the year of our Lord 2020, Jim Carrey's not only placed on a top 10 list of performances, but also ranked very, very high. This is just the Jim Carrey of old. He's chewing scenery, he's having a ball, he's ad-libbing. Like, I mean, like every comedy act, not everything's gonna land, but when it lands, it fucking lands. He is very fun here, something I don't think he's done in years, and it's a beautiful return to form. This was the perfect role for him to have a comeback on. My number three performance of the year goes to Pete Davidson as Scott from The King of Staten Island. 
Personally, I haven't connected to a character, especially some small character traits like I have with Scott in quite a long time. He's a directionless loser content with living with his mommy for the rest of his life. It's, it's a really personal story for Davidson as I touched on last week with his story about his father dying in 9-11, his character in this dies from a, a fire. Um, it's a guy who's just gone through so much shit um, in his real life and his character's life. He, he's a man in pain and he battles that with humor, something I do as well. Now, naturally I have, have had no parents pass away, knock on, knock on wood. Um, but I get it, you, you battle depression, you battle anxiety with humor. I always say, if you don't laugh, it's just sad. And I was able to laugh with Pete through his struggles through this movie. My number two performance goes to Delroy Lindo as Paul from Defy Bloods. And just, wow. Pack it up, everyone, for next year's Oscars. Give this man the Oscar for actor in a leading role just today. There's, I cannot say enough good things about what I saw from Lindo, a man who is an explosion of emotion, different emotions at every single scene he's in, from anger to fear to depression to post-traumatic stress disorder to, I mean, I know shell shock and PTSD are kind of the same thing, but he uses the word shell shock a lot. And for two and a half hours, nearly two and a half hours, Lindo stakes an emotional claim into your heart, into your brain. You can see his pain as a Vietnam War vet who is yet to recover from his past, even 50 plus years later. The only reason, and I mean the only reason he isn't number one, is because he is luckily surrounded by other very, very good performances unlike my number one, which is going to Elizabeth Moss as Cecilia from The Invisible Man. Again, pack it up, 2020. Give her best actress in a leading role right here. She carries this film. And I'm not saying the other actors in this aren't good because they are very good, but she is the one who carries every single scene in this movie. Moss had to act purely by herself, combining elements of trauma, abuse, fear, and self-loathing while also being a horror heroine that we could root for and we want to see succeed through all these traumas. There's a fantastic cat and mouse game between her and her invisible ex-boyfriend that really just lends to the credence of her ability to act through anything, including being on screen by herself because obviously there's no one there acting with her. It's an invisible man, as the title tells you. We've seen Moss act, I mean, she get, there's a joke, she gets beat up or emotionally abused in everything she's in, but goddamn if she didn't sell it here. She makes you feel for her every second she's on screen, whether it be in her happiness, which is few and far in between, but most importantly, her fear. So those were my 10 performances of the year. You got your 10 movies and your 10 performances. I'm gonna switch things up a little bit here on Phenomenal Flicks. This is the first and Something that I want to do at the end of the year, I think, depending on how much new music comes out by December. Now, this is first and foremost a movie review podcast. However, you know, I like I like music too. Who, who the fuck doesn't? So I'm just going to give brief rankings of my top 10 favorite albums of the year as well. Now, these rankings are going to be much quicker than the movie review ones. I kind of just wrote, again, one to two sentence snippets about these. Um, and, you know... Like I said, I love music. I kind of want to rank them. You know, maybe it'll give you something to listen to as well. Um, I have a lot of genre blending here from punk to heavy metal to rap to pop. 
So buckle in, these are my top 10 favorite albums of the year of 2020. Again, comma, so far. At number 10, I have L Storm's Curse of the Crystal Coconut. It's a pirate metal band, pirate metal album. It's fun, it's not to be taken too seriously. My favorite song on that is called Call of the Waves. At number nine, I have Soccer Mommy's Color Theory, a well thought out memoir of love and loss. Favorite song on this is gonna be Yellow is the Color of Her Eyes. At number eight, I have Newfound Glories Forever and Ever Times Infinity, their 10th studio album in 21 years, I believe, of making music, and another that proves that they are literally the most consistent pop punk band in the world. My favorite song on this is Stay A While. You can also read a review of that over at thepopbreak.com, which released, I believe, three or four days ago. At number seven, and naturally, right by Newfound Glory's album, if you get the in-joke on this, is Haley Williams' first solo affair, Pedals for Armor. Her strength, passion, and just fine-tuned songwriting abilities are on full display here. Favorite track off of this is Pure Love. At number six, we have Green Day's disaster piece of an album, Father of All Motherfuckers, a hilarious middle finger to their record label and even to some of their fans that constantly say, oh God, man, I miss the old Green Day. Billy Joe Armstrong said that Green Day is the most ever-evolving band and it's hard to disagree with them. Favorite song on this is Meet Me on the Roof. At number five, we have all-time lows, Wake Up Sunshine, their best album, in my opinion, since 2012's Don't Panic. This is really a return to form while also changing up vocals and production to finer suit their older selves. Favorite song on this is Getaway Green. At number four, I have Lady Gaga's Chromatica. I can only say so much about this album because it truly has to be heard to believed. It is just an incredibly well put together three act structure that you should definitely go listen to. Favorite song on this is Fun Tonight. At number three, and this one my partner Olivia is gonna love, is The Weekends After Hours, a truly mesmerizing, painful record that sucked me in from the beginning to end. This is actually the first I've ever listened to one of his albums from start to finish, and I couldn't help but go back and listen to his older stuff and just fell in love with The Weeknd. Favorite song on this is In Your Eyes. At number two, I have Beach Bunny's Honeymoon. I really just heard this band for the first time this year and instantly fell in love with their mix of indie, pop, and pop-punk sounds and a lead singer who could just really belt it out. Favorite song on this is Dream Boy. And at my number one, I have Run the Jewels 4, RTJ4, if you will, by the band Run the Jewels, the band, the group Run the Jewels. And in my opinion, I don't see this being topped at the end of the year. Now, I could be wrong, but I really just do not. This album is a force to be reckoned with, fighting for every human right issue that we see currently. And that was before the human right issue stuff came back into the media. I mean, every song on this album just slaps and has something to tell you in our political landscape. It might be my favorite Run the Jewels record to date. Favorite song on this is Walking in the Snow. Well, 27 minutes into this episode, I did not think it was going to go this long, but I'm happy it did. I gave you my top 10 favorite films of the year so far in 2020, top 10 favorite performances in films so far in 2020, and my top 10 favorite albums of the year so far in 2020. Yes, I wanted to say that number three times because it seemed long and this year has been fucking long. Bear with me, guys. The whole schedule is just going to keep changing. We never know when things are going to fully open back up. Illinois, the state I live in, is not going to fully open back up for phase five until there is a vaccine for the coronavirus. 
uh, I don't want to say, hey, you know, new stuff is coming out this day and then change it up like I always did. So kind of just look at the social medias. Follow me, the podcast on Instagram at Phenomenal Flicks Podcast, and you will get updates as soon as possible on there. Don't forget to follow Two Week Media on Instagram and Twitter as well for as many updates as possible. I do know, however, this coming Saturday... On the 4th of July, I will be releasing my very first retrospective review. Uh, We just hit the 45th anniversary of this movie, and that is Steven Spielberg's Jaws. Now, I will be reviewing this in full spoiler form with my really good friend, Ryan Larson, um, who is a contributor to Bloody Disgusting, his own horror website, Ghastly Grinning, and is now, congratulations, Ryan, man, I love you, I'm so proud of you, you are a Rotten Tomatoes certified critic which is just awesome. Um, We are going to spoil the shit out of that movie and talk about why we love it so much. And Jaws is a 4th of July film. So that is why I'm releasing that one on July 4th. I also know that Mike Vlaz will be back shortly. We will be releasing a full retrospective spoiler review of Jurassic Park as well, which is his favorite movie. So tune in for that as well. Everything else is kind of up in the air. I know Hamilton releases next week, and I really want to record that with fellow two-week media friends, Katie Legner and Beth Tamita. After that, we'll see, man. I mean, Tenet's supposed to come out in August. Bill and Ted face the music. The New Mutants might finally come out after three years. Who knows? But I, I really hope this gives you some stuff to watch. I mean, literally, man. Go, go watch The Invisible Man. Go watch Defy Bloods. Go watch Sonic the Hedgehog. Shit, if you want to spend the time with your kids, if you have them, go watch Scoob. Watch as many movies as possible. Maybe you'll love Scoob, and you'll say, Tommy, that movie was actually fantastic. Why did you hate it? Go listen to some of these albums that I mentioned. I mean, if you're a fan of pop punk, you can't go wrong with Newfound Glory's new album. If you like some more subtle kind of indie sounds, listen to Soccer Mommy's Color Theory. If you want to hear some hard-hitting hip-hop that has uh, a lot of, like, new metal and and punky stuff to it as well run the jewels is for you all of these things like i said are just my opinion but i cannot recommend them enough and i cannot recommend just getting through it guys 2020 is halfway over wear a mask try not to go out as much as possible i know i work in the restaurant industry and i would rather everyone be safe before restaurants open back up but hey who am i I'm just a guy reviewing movies, and I reviewed, kind of, in theory, 10 of those for you, as well as 10 performances and 10 albums. Again, I'm going to make this as long as possible because this year is as long as possible. All right, guys, don't forget to follow Phenomenal Flicks on Instagram, again, at Phenomenal Flicks Podcast. Follow Two Week Media if you can as well, as well as Katie Legner's podcast, Faking It Pod. And also look very soon on the Two Week Media page for the musical-themed episode, I Feel Petty, colon, just hates musicals where we will be reviewing west side story hence the name of that um as well as maybe some other announcements i don't know yet but look for those and of course as always everyone stay phenomenal